Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Happy Father's Day to all of you out there who are fathers, who are sensei, who are father figures to children. You know, in an, in an era where fathers and men have become a punchline in modern entertainment for whatever reason, I see it in commercials all the time, I see it in TVs where guys just can't seem to get anything done right. I want to take time to acknowledge all of the, the real men out there who are fathers, who have been father figures, who have adopted children, who have been a sensei or who have been somebody that children can look up to. And it's important to me to honor all of you men out there who have been in that role in one way, shape, or another. And for you young guys that are out there, maybe you haven't been put in that position. Maybe, you know, I started at an early age as a, as a camp counselor, but I want to take a moment to wish all of you men out there a happy Father's Day because I think it's important to honor men and honor the roles that we are in on a day-in and day-out basis. And I'm not apologetic to that. A lot of people, you know, in, in this era of political correctness downplay the importance of men in this society. And I will not do that. I'm proud to be a man. I'm not going to run away from that. And I'm glad for the opportunities that I've had in my life to be a father figure to not only my own children, but to many children that I teach have taught in the past, whether it be judo, whether it's been as a camp counselor and such. So again, happy Father's Day to you all. Now, before I get on with the rest of this podcast, I want to point out that perhaps my voice may sound a little bit different on this particular episode. Man, I am trying and trying to get the acoustics in this particular room correct because I, I want to avoid having to do expensive work or having to rely on a an actual professional studio to record this podcast. I've done some things to make the walls in this particular room a little bit busy. I'm trying a little bit different mic microphone technique in order to record this. I don't know how it's going to sound. I mean, in some of the previews that I've listened to so far, well, not previews, but but I've listened to my own recordings back. It sounds okay, but my my voice does sound a little bit different. Guys, I'm just asking you to be patient. I need to find a more cost effective solution. At the moment, I've got I've got uh, some foam padding up, but I don't think it's doing a great job. So I'm trying to do my best with my microphone technique and and not trying to you know speak very loudly. Well, I mean, not over amplify my voice. So again, please be patient with me. I'm working on it. I, I only have a couple of days throughout the week to do this podcast and to spend time building out a room is just not feasible for me. On this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast, I want to talk about the Cancun Grand Prix, which is happening in Cancun, Mexico. It's the first IJF tournament of the year that takes place in this hemisphere of the world, which is very nice. And... Uh, I got to say Cancun is is a very very nice place. Um hopefully the judoka who who came over for this tournament is going to spend some time in Quintana Roo and visit Tulum, which is a must see if you're going to Cancun. Uh, Tulum is the Mayan ruins. It's one of the Mayan ruins in in Mexico and it's just an awesome place to see if you guys follow me on Instagram, which is at la vida judoka and go back about a year and a half you can see a lot of the pictures that I took when I went on my visit to Cancun and Tulum. So I will be talking a little bit about the competition this weekend. There's matches going on right now, but instead of watching the matches, I want to talk to you guys. But I will cover some of the matches that have happened already. And I also want to talk about Marius Weiser. He had another Q&A over the weekend. I believe it was on Friday. And he answered one of my questions and he answered many other questions as well. I want to get into some of his, some of the questions and some of the responses there. I, I think a lot of the fans of judo and, and the people who follow the IJF on Twitter, as you all should, they ask some pretty good questions. So, some of them are, are duds and some of them are, are repeats, 
but uh, but some questions are very good, and, and Mr. Visor is very good about responding to all of them. I think he got to mine first. He was very excited to talk about the new team event in the Olympics. But I'll get all, I'll get to all of that a little bit later. I also got some listener reaction that I'll get to as well. But first, I want to talk about a movie I saw over the past week. I finally got out to see Wonder Woman. For all of you who remember the Linda Carter days of Wonder Woman, um, it was a good movie. I I don't I didn't think it was as great as people made it out to be. It it started off slow for me, but it it picked up really 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 well. Now I had some minor issues with the movie in terms of production and stuff. My wife loved it. I didn't love it as much as she did. Some minor spoilers. One thing that really, really frustrates me in, in these type of superhero movies or, or movies where there's a hero and, and a villain and it's building up to a big battle, you inevitably get one of these he must never know what he truly is type lines. And I, I hate that crap. I, I mean, if I had superpowers and my mother or father hid them from me because they wanted me to be some kind of an accountant or, or some other dud in life, I'd be pretty pissed off. If I could, if I could have the power of flight, and I was never told about it because they, because it's a big secret, and he must never know his powers and secret stuff. And I would want to know, just like if there was any dastardly secret in your family about you, you would want to know as well. So I, I really hate that when movies go that route. But one thing I really loved about the movie was the backdrop of World War One. And I got to tell you, I can't think of another movie that I have watched in my life where the backdrop was World War One. I. I mean, is, is there a, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, is there, is there a Saving Private Ryan equivalent for World War One? If there is, I, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe a lot of those World War One movies happened in the 1940s and 50s where there were still uh, World War One veterans around to recount their stories. Because uh, as far as I know, there's no longer any living World War One survivors, and we're getting to that point where the World War Two generation is is dying off. Most of those people are are in their late 80s and early 90s by now. Anybody who's still alive. So lots of pros about the movie. Um, another con I want to talk about is for any of you guys that watch Logan. The, the movie Logan. I think Logan has ruined superhero movies for me from here on out. Because as you guys have seen the commercials or if you're familiar with Wonder Woman. She she wields a sword. She's got a shield and she has her magic lasso. But after watching Logan. It's hard for me to watch a PG-13 superhero movie. Knowing that if these type of superheroes existed. That they would be a lot more blood and guts in the movies themselves or in real life. So Wonder Woman with all her strength and stuff. If she's hacking and slashing with her sword. Body parts are going to be flying everywhere. (laughs) I mean we saw that in Logan and we've seen that in Deadpool. And and you, you can't have Wonder Woman be a rated R movie. Because I know these studios need to find that sweet spot for movie ratings and... And getting the most amount of people to watch that movie. But it just... The last superhero movie I watched was Logan. And then to go from that back to not seeing any blood. And not seeing anything... Anybody dismembered or anything. And I'm not a horror guy. I'm not I'm not that guy. But I almost feel like after watching Logan... I need that sense of realism in my superhero movies. So... That was probably a con, uh, but it wasn't that big of a deal to me. It didn't ruin the movie. It just it just made me realize how different a rated R movie is going to be versus a PG-13 movie. And the other con, and I, I got to get this off my chest. The politics surrounding Wonder Woman really reached a crescendo that was borderline ridiculous. There were people and news articles and stuff celebrating this movie as if it's some kind of a spike the football movement uh, moment for feminism. Now, I'm not some anti-feminist guy. Not not at all. It's just it's just Wonder Woman. We we don't need to look into this deeper 
a political statement about a female lead character because she's not the first female lead superhero movie. I mean, you had Elektra. Yeah, the movie sucked, but you did have Elektra and you did have Tomb Raider. And I'm sure you've had many other movies. And I know if they were to make a Black Widow movie, I, I think that movie would be awesome. And Scarlett Johansson would be great at that. And, and I'm surprised it hasn't been made yet. But I think that movie would be very successful. But let's not make these movies more than what they are. It's just a freaking superhero movie. It's just Wonder Woman. You know, and, and as a guy, I didn't, I didn't really, believe it or not, look at this movie through the lens of a bro wanting to see a hot chick in a skimpy outfit. Like, I, I'm not that kind of guy. Maybe I was... 25 years ago when I was 18, 17, whatever. But not not anymore. I, I just saw Wonder Woman. But that being said, I think Gal Gadot looked fantastic. Dare I say she even looked better than Linda Carter. Now, Linda Carter was... Seeing Linda Carter as Wonder Woman made me realize as a 4 and 5 year old that I like girls. But yeah, I, I think Gal Gadot... Made a better Wonder Woman. And I know some of the old timers out there will probably want to bash my head in for that statement. But uh, I liked I liked her in this movie. I like the movie. I, it's a uh, I highly suggest it. Don't wait for Blu-ray or DVD. Go watch it now. And, and I think you'll you'll enjoy it a lot. If you liked it, let me know what you thought about it. Oh, uh, one last thing before I move on. That Justice League trailer. That sucked. That that movie looks horrible. And, and I think of these DC movies that have come out recently, the DC Universe, this Wonder Woman movie is the only one that's worth seeing. The Superman movies, the, um, the Superman movies really stunk. Batman versus Superman was horrible. Uh, what was that? What was that ridiculous? Suicide Squad was was kind of horrible, but I, I I enjoyed it for what it was. But Justice League looks. Like it took a page out of Suicide Squad. And I don't know why. Because that, that really sucked. Uh, honestly. Alright. Anyway. On to some judo things. Which means it's time for my favorite segment of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. What time is it? Listen a reaction. This segment of the Judo Chop Suey podcast is brought to you by my friends Nick and Cy Collier. Who are the stars of the Nick and Cy show on YouTube. For those of you who don't know... Nick and Size has been one of my favorite YouTube channels over the past several years. They've been making judo videos, Brazilian jiu-jitsu videos, self-defense videos, and stunt videos for, for many, many years. They also compete nationally in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and do quite well if you take a look at their videos online. Nick and Sai Collier are also sponsored by 8711 Action Design, which is one of the production companies that brought to you the John Wick movies, if you've ever seen them. Lots of judo in those movies. Now, for those of you who are not subscribed, Nick and Sai recently posted their first instructional video called Everything About Arm Spins. For all you judo folks out there, and something tells me there's a lot of you listening to this podcast, the arm spin is Yoko Wakari, in case you didn't know. And I must say, I was very impressed with Nick and Sai's explanation of Yoko Wakari. It was a very thorough explanation, and they taught this technique in gi and no gi situations. They also taught what to do in certain situations, certain grips, and explained what makes their throw succeed versus what makes this throw fail. The level of detail and explanation in this instructional is fantastic. And look, let me put it this way. There is not a single video on Superstar Judo that goes into the kind of detail that everything about arm spins does. Everything about arm spins comes in five parts and they are each $2.99 for a three-day rental or $4.99 if you want to purchase the part outright. The audio and video quality is excellent and I've already stated the details in these in this video are fantastic. You can check out this video and others at www.youtube.com Nick and Sai. And Nick and Sai is spelled N-I-K-A-N-D-S-I. All one word. Go check out their channel. They're doing a great job. So I received a few emails uh, over the past week. And I even uh, received a voicemail 
Uh, actually, I received that voicemail last week. I'll, I'll play some of that. But I received an email that I would like to read. I'll keep this person anonymous. I won't get, read too many emails this particular week because I do want to move on to some judo news. But I, I love the listener reaction segment. So here it goes. Um, you're Dave. I was pleased to find your podcast, download a few episodes. You've come a long way since you started. It's nice to have somebody who puts effort into gathering judo news and has intelligent discussions of judo issues. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, continuing on, he goes, I would like to say that I am opposed to just anyone, um, somebody less than Shodan, teaching judo. You cannot teach after just a couple of classes. Parents can assist, but I do, but do not have the knowledge to serve as head teachers. You should check out this article on what is currently happening in Japan. And he sends me a link to an article. I'll link this article in the podcast notes. Um, that way you guys have a reference to what uh, this particular anonymous emailer is talking about. He goes on to say, Underqualified people cannot teach safe falling techniques, much less principles that they have no idea about. USA Judo is hoping to copy the success of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu by lowering the standards for teaching. As far as I can figure out. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has no set qualifications for opening a dojo. Pretty much anyone can hang out a shingle and start teaching. I cannot help but wonder about the results. American Judo has enough issues of quality with its current crop of teachers. How is lowering teaching standards going to help? Now, this is this is in response to my interview with Serge Buyaso a few weeks ago. Now, for those who you may not who may not remember or didn't listen to the interview. Serge made a statement where he believed, he sta- pretty much stated that he believed that you did not have to be a shodan to teach judo. Now, the article that the emailer who wants to be called Judo Oyaji, I think I got that right. The article the emailer linked to in the Japan Times, in my opinion, is not a good article to base an opinion against non-don rank holding or non-don ranks teaching. And the reason for this Again, this is just my opinion. I really feel that Japan has different problems. It has a different culture. It's it's a different cult. It's a different country, obviously, with with different ideals. And I recall, if you guys remember, a few weeks ago, I read an email from a fellow by the name of Kiyoshi who runs JudoFan.com, which is a blog site, a, a blog site that I highly suggest all of you visiting. He sent me an email a long time ago, and I did read it on the, on the air, uh, about the state of judo in Japan. And in that email he sent to me, he talked about various abuses and various scandals and, and even the dojo deaths, which is what this article from the Japan Times talks about. And these type of scandals and such is a big reason why Yasuhiro Yamashita is running things now and... Now that he's the head man in judo, you can bet that things are going to change because uh, for judo in Japan. Because I don't think for a second that Yamashita is going to cling to old school ideas and and some of these training methods and approaches to judo that is that just should have gone away years ago. So because I really believe the culture is completely different and Japan has different problems. I would go as far as saying what doesn't work in Japan, it doesn't necessarily mean that it would not work here. After all, have you heard of dojo deaths in the United States happening on a semi-frequent basis? I I sure haven't. And, you know, that's not to say that I think we should have a four-hour course like USA Wrestling does, but I do think we need to find a way... To allow people to teach basic judo that you don't necessarily have to be a shodan. I mean, you know, Serge talked about the four-hour course to become a wrestling a wrestling coach, and you could run a wrestling class. And look, wrestling's a combat sport. In case some of you all have forgotten, it's a high-impact sport. There are takedowns, there are throws, and you know, as far as I know, wrestlers don't have dedicated practice. To the art of falling. They don't have dedicated ukemi practice. Even if they had ukemi practice. They wouldn't call it ukemi practice. But it just seems to me that a lot of wrestlers. get You know they get a shot. They just take the bump. They just take the fall. And I don't hear about deaths in the United States from wrestling. I mean injuries happen of course. But 
but we don't have deaths on the mats like like we have heard oftentimes what goes on in Japan. So I just don't think we can look at what happens in Japan and say, oh well, if a non showdown, if a uh, somebody who's a Q rank started running judo classes that we would have deaths i i just don't think that would happen i don't even think we would have serious injuries that the the deaths that happen in japan are happening for very different reasons and their culture and and their approach to training and such is a part of that and and look (laughs) judo is losing popularity in japan judo is losing popularity in the united states and from my friends over in the UK, it would seem that judo is losing popularity in the UK. It's losing popularity in many places. So, you know, maybe it's time that we take a look at Brazilian jiu-jitsu and see some of the things that they're doing right. Now, you know, the emailer stated that he trained in Japan. And yeah, I, I've never been to Japan, but I've been told by a few people. Of course, it's just one man's story versus another man's story, but... Japan is not very traditional these days when it comes to judo. And I remember one guy, I can't remember if it was on Reddit or or in a direct email. He he was saying that a lot of these quote-unquote traditional Japanese dojo in the United States are are almost a caricature, a, a caricature of how things are in Japan. Now, traditionally speaking, an instructor grade is somebody who's a yodan or or higher. Those those people would be would be instructors if you're talking straight up tradition. But you know nowadays we have shodan, you know nidan and sandan rank holders with judo clubs. And as you guys are well aware, I do assist. I do assist at my local judo club as a, as an assistant instructor. And there are times that I run the class. And and the thing is, is that. There's just not enough judo don rank holders in the United States, and, and the drop off after showdown is huge. So I'm not saying that we should just let anybody teach judo, but I I do think Q ranks, you could say Sanku and up, I do think they should be able to open up their own clubs so long as they're affiliated with a sensei that can formally promote. I I don't see what the problem with that is. In, in other sports in the United States, it, it doesn't take five to seven years to become a coach. And I don't think it should take that long for somebody to be able to give back to the judo community and, and teach judo. And, you know, Serge was talking about this in my interview that it's really hard to get a showdown in United States and other countries where... You know, you want to talk about tradition in Japan. It's it's not that hard to get a shodan. There's a lot of middle schoolers and, and high schoolers that have that rank. It's a you know every, everybody every, all the traditionalists out there they like to say oh shodan is just your first step. It's the beginning rank. Well, in a lot of other countries they treat it like it's like it's a like it's a huge deal, and it is a big deal to get shodan, but. Having been a shodan for the past seven years now, I can tell you it's 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 really not that big of a deal. But but the the difficulty in attaining that rank is, yeah, heck, I mean, Serge said it. It's it's easier for some if you stick around long enough. It's easier to get a rokudan than a shodan for a lot of people. So I, I Brazilian jiu jitsu seems to have figured it out. And while Brazilian jiu jitsu has its own problems. When it comes to growing their sport, they're winning that battle. It's not really a battle between judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but they have tapped into a market that attracts that 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 is attractive to a certain demographic. A lot of teenagers and young adults are going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu clubs. They're not going to judo, not not uh, you know not initially anyway. And, and I just don't understand why judo can't take a page out of what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is doing and try to emulate their success, especially their success in, in getting adults because that's what you're going to need in, in, in order to grow judo. You, you, yeah, you need the kids, but you need to get, you need to get adults and, and you need 
you know, adults that come into judo need training partners that are around their same age and their same size and stuff. There's just there's just not a lot of adults in judo who are coming in as new students. I mean, yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong, it happens, but not nearly at the rate that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is doing it. And and look, I don't want to hear that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is some kind of fat. It, it's been popular for well over 20 years. So, and and it continues to grow while judo's growth stagnates. And you know, I, I've seen you could you could statistically measure that and look at that and see that for yourself. There's no question about it. And I think the big thing that Brazilian jiu-jitsu does properly is affiliation. Every club that I have ever come across in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that is ran by a blue belt or a purple belt or a brown belt, they are affiliated with a club that is ran by a black belt. Or, or you know, whether it's Team Gracie or, or Team Hobson Mora or, or whoever it is, uh, it they have affiliation programs that allow the instructors of these individual clubs to get promoted. And they, these affiliations, you know what you're getting when you're affiliated with some, you actually don't, I don't know of a rogue Brazilian jiu-jitsu club. Every credible Brazilian jiu-jitsu club I know of are affiliated with somebody or have a relationship with a high ranking Brazilian jiu-jitsu teacher that can promote students to black belt. And judo right now, they run their clubs independently. And, and, and I think that's killing judo. And it, and it will continue to, to kill judo. Because you take myself, for example. If I want to get promoted to Nidon, I got to quit being an assistant instructor and go find a club and start you know training under a particular sensei. And who's to say that that sensei is actually going to promote me fairly? You know, I'm not. I'm not begging for a need on promotion. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm, I want it, but I, I'm not begging for it. But my point is that now I have to go to somebody else's club. They have to get to know me. I have to start volunteering and doing all these different things. Whereas if I was affiliated with a higher ranking sensei, they could see the work that I'm doing at this club as an assistant instructor. They could see the stuff that I'm doing on the podcast and. And and they can make a determination from there, or at least they can get to, they can tell me this is what you need to do in order to get promoted to Nidan. But judo doesn't have those kind of affiliations, and and I I think they need to go that route. Judo could stand to use enthusiastic adults who may not be Don rank holders teaching judo. I mean, my buddy Judo Joe, he was running the judo class in his Brazilian jiu-jitsu club as an EQ. And now, from what I understand, that class may be the largest adult class in the Tampa Bay area. And now he, I mean, judo Joe's a showdown now, but he's, he'd been an EQ for so long, but he was just doing his own thing. He wasn't, you know, he didn't belong to some other sensei. He didn't, he, he was just doing his own thing. And, and finally, a, 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 I believe he's a Sandan, was gracious enough to promote him to the rank that he absolutely deserved. But, you know, Joe has done a lot, a lot of great things. I believe he's got like over 20 adults um, in his judo class. And granted, these adults are coming from the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu club, but it doesn't matter. He's getting adults through the door. And that's something that a lot of other judo clubs are not doing very well. At the end of the day, look, I just think judo needs to be more visible. I'm trying to do my little part with this this hideous podcast and I know, you know, there's a few other podcasts out there. There are people trying, you know, the the original judo podcast, I highly suggest you all take check that out. And uh, there's another guy that runs a, a podcast called the Zen Bay podcast since Fred Lewis has that particular podcast, but Judo needs more visibility. And and look, anonymous emailer, I, I want to be crystal clear. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I think we would both agree that in, an increase in judo membership would be a good thing. We may disagree on how that happens, but I think we can agree that we need more p- 
people coming through the door. I think we could both agree that judo needs to improve its customer service because at the end of the day, everybody that walks through that door should be viewed as a customer and we need to treat them with the utmost importance and not treat them like, oh, well, you're an adult, you're past your prime, you can't win me any medals or or this and that. I, I just think judo needs to do a better job and needs to follow Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu's model when it comes to improving their customer service and getting people interested in judo. I, I, I just, I, I think they could do a much better job of that. Phew, that was long. All right. Look, I got one more thing I want to get to. It's a voicemail that I received from my buddy out in San Francisco, or it's actually Oakland. I take that back. My apologies. Mr. Jonah Ewell. Hey, what's up, Judo Dave Roman? This is Jonah. I heard your last podcast, and I just wanted to send you a little note and, uh, you know, give you a little podcast review, some feedback. Um, oh, nice. Right now, is Eddie Pone? Yeah. See, right now what I'm doing is I'm watching the matches that you linked in your podcast description, watching Oguzov. Looks like, was that Epon or was Ari? Head ref is trying to figure it out. I think he called Epon. He's listening to his earpiece. Oh, no, he called Wazari. He waves it off. It becomes Epon. Okay. See, now, the only reason I'm watching that match is because you reviewed it and you linked to it. I mean, otherwise... Uh, I would not have watched it. And I think you are the only guy that is reviewing matches like that, at least in English, um, and linking to them. I mean, IJF should be thanking you. They should be trying to cross-promote you or something. Um, Because actually it makes the matches a lot more interesting. You know, because I mean, for you, honestly, for you to slog through, like you're saying, six hours of uh, of the uh, <laughs> of like all this footage is incredible. I don't know how you do it, man. Anyway, man, just wanted to say good good job on the podcast, and uh, I, you know, if if you really had an interview with Teddy Renner, that would be amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> I could tell you were a little off on the last podcast, quite honestly. You're a little bit off. You're I don't know if it was just whatever it was, what's going on, but like I wasn't wasn't a big fan of the uh of the poop jokes. That was kind of gross. Made me want to turn off the podcast. But uh <laughs> but uh anyway, man, overall you're doing a great job and uh take care of yourself. I look forward to the next one. All right. Is that a cat? purring in the background or somebody snoring i couldn't i couldn't really tell but uh jonah thank you very much for the voicemail i do have to admit i did not really interview teddy renair i mean come on do you think that i'm that anybody would answer the question of what their favorite tinder dates were (laughs) come on man nobody would answer that question yeah maybe maybe one day i'll get teddy on here I, i don't know i really don't know if he speaks english but uh Maybe I will. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, as for reviewing the the matches uh, and, and linking to them, let me tell you, I do them with powers and abilities that are beyond human comprehension. So I appreciate you checking them out. I will continue to do that. I will do this for the Cancun Grand Prix. I'll definitely list some of my favorite matches. I appreciate it. Oh, and as far as my Morgan Freeman, that wasn't a joke. That was... Uh, those were actual lines from the Shawshank Redemption. So if you didn't watch that movie, you got to watch that movie. It's probably in my top five of all time. Maybe number two next to um, Dances with Wolves, which is my absolute favorite. The Marius Visor Twitter Q&A. So Mr. Visor had a Q&A a couple of days ago on June 16th. He did not answer my question on his favorite Tinder dates. But he did answer one of my questions. I asked him specifically, uh, Mr. Visor, when did the process to have a new team event added to the Olympics start? Because I I brought this up in my last podcast when I talked about the team event added to the Olympics for 2020 in Tokyo. uh, Because I was curious, all of these rule changes and stuff or or this added event, uh, the wheels had to have been started years ago, I would think. So... He responded to me by stating 
in the end of 2013, we first started with this good application, but unfortunately, but the previous IOC president in July 2014 canceled the application of the Summer Olympic Sports for the new events in Rio. And then he goes on to say, President Bach has successfully renewed this project. And on that way, I want to thank the IOC and all of our judo community for their work and support with this project and in particular, Japan. So this whole thing, it turns out, started way back in 2013. They wanted to get this team event into the the Rio games. But but it looks like this has been a a, a much longer process than I anticipated. I figured that perhaps maybe sometime last year they would have put in their application to have the new games added to the 2020 Olympics, but but yeah, this this hap- this started all uh, four years ago, which is fascinating to me. Anyway, it just goes to show how long the how long of a process it can take to get a new event into the Olympics. So I appreciate Mr. Visor for responding to me uh, about that. Now, something I thought that was really humorous is that uh, two of his tweets in this particular. Q&A. He says, I feel now that leg grabs are not an important aspect of the methodology of our sport. And he also says in a separate tweet, leg grabs. At the moment, we are busy with a lot of other important subjects. I don't think so that early we come back to this subject. And what's really humorous to me about this is that I looked at all of the uh, tweets that happened on that day with the hashtag AskVisor. Not one person actually asked about the leg grabs. So I thought it was humorous that he decided all on his own to get ahead of any of the tweets asking about leg grabs in judo because I'm sure he's sick about uh, answering that question. Now the voice of judo, Mr. Neil Adams asked Mr. Visor, really feel, or he states here, really feel the rules are making positive changes and bringing back excitement. What are your thoughts with the current system? And Mr. Visor responds, I am convinced from January 2018, everyone will have the chance to enjoy spectacular judo. I feel technically the judo, according to the new rules, is moving in the right way. And after the Worlds, we have to adjust some small details. I wish I saw this answer. I would have liked to have asked him what those small details are. But nevertheless, it goes to show you that they are very, very pleased with the outcome of these rule changes. And I got to say... After being a spectator of all of the major tournaments so far on the IJF World Tour, I am really enjoying overall what I am watching. Especially that there's no winner by Shido. I, I thought that was the worst thing ever. And quite frankly, a part I really believe a part of the reason why we have not seen Teddy Renner yet compete at the top level here is because he's still trying to adjust for his rules. Maybe uh, these rules, maybe I'm completely wrong on that, but right now he's currently ranked number three. He'd probably still be ranked number one if he actually competed here and there, but but some of the other tournaments uh, that have dropped off from, from last year, those points no longer count, so he's currently ranked number three in his division. Another user at Pudo World asked Mr. Visor, what attracted the IGF to Cancun to host a Grand Prix? He responds, Mexico is on the way to become a great judo country. It is a good boost for them as well as to host a Grand Prix. At the moment, it is the only IJF World Judo Tour event in Pan Am. It is a nice part of the world with good connections, offering the judoka as well. And uh, goes on to say, offering the judoka as well an opportunity to enjoy the location as well as the support of the local government to organize this event. And along those lines, it's my understanding, and I've got to look at the official results. I haven't looked at all of them just yet, but I believe Mexico won their first gold in an IJF tournament event, either in quite some time or it's the first time ever. So I'll get to that judo news a little bit later, but I want to continue on with some of the other questions in Mr. Visor's Q&A. Another question he received from Maestro Ukemi, at Maestro Ukemi. What does a small federation of judo have to do to create a social aid department? How can the IJF help you? Mr. Visor responds, as IJF, we are ready to do all of our best efforts, but have synergy with national federations to achieve the maximum. 
The IJF is on the way with a project to promote judo in schools and start soon a big judo promotion in the U.S. next. You will see soon. Oh, okay. That That's really interesting. Now, guys, I, I didn't actually prepare this stuff in advance in the sense that I don't have this all written down. So as you're listening to this, I'm, I'm hearing some of these responses as well and seeing some of these questions. That is really interesting. Again, I wish I wasn't at work doing my job and I wish I saw this response immediately because I would have followed up with a question on what this big judo promotion in the U.S. is. Very, very interesting stuff. Wow. Okay. Can't wait to see that. At Nika Gurini asks uh, how we can or how the IGF is going to develop judo public relations management and asks if he has a strategy. Mr. Advisor responds, when I became IGF president in 2007 in Rio, I promised to implement a general reform in our sport. It is still occurring and the reforms have been reflected in all judo sectors, management, technical, finances, media, competition, sponsorship, and promotion. But we are just on the middle of our goal and there is a lot of work ahead in the future. So I think that's really interesting to me as well. I think the IGF, uh, looking over the past 10 years, has done a much better job. They've got the live events on YouTube. They are, they could be better in terms of their social media presence. But I think if they're just halfway through their goals, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what kind of things that they'll do in the future uh, as well. And lastly, some clown asks, uh, Mr. Advisor, what's your program to show judo more powerful and excitedly to the world? Because people often think it's just boring throwing. And Mr. Advisor responds, we are open to any creative, incredible suggestions at all times. Yeah, dude, come on. Are you trolling or are you serious? That's a that's an absurd question. I mean, it, what's boxing? Is, is it just boring punching or, or baseball, just boring hitting? I, I mean... Dude, get get out of here with that nonsense. The Cancun Grand Prix taking place in Cancun, Mexico. Viva la raza! For you Mexicanos out there. Hopefully I got that right. Now speaking of Viva la raza, Mexico celebrates its first IGF Grand Prix gold medal. Turns out Luz Olvera of Mexico is the first winner of the gold medal for Mexico in any IJF event. Mexico has has had some bronze medals in the past and some silvers, but apparently never a gold medal. So so Luz Olvera won the under 52 kilo division uh, in this particular tournament. Now look, I'm not taking anything away from Miss Olvera, but there was a name missing from this particular list in the under 52 kilo division. And you know who she is. And if you don't, shame on you. Majlinda Kelmendi was nowhere to be found in this particular tournament. I'm guessing that she's off doing other types of training. Who knows what she's doing? I haven't checked out her Twitter or Instagram in quite a while. But look, I, I Majlinda Kelmendi, in my opinion, she's the Terminator. She's the Terminator of the IJF and she's the best in the world. And I believe that for a variety of reasons. But um, but yeah, so she was not at this tournament, which opens the door for uh, other ladies to step up and, and gain some important points, including Angelica Delgado, who also got who or who got bronze in this event. She's not the only uh, United States athlete who medaled in this particular event. I'm very proud of our of Team USA. But Angelica Delgado got, got the bronze in the under 52 kilo division. Caitlin Buiso of the United States, she got third place in this tournament, a bronze. That's a huge win in the under 48 kilo division. Well, not a win, but that, that that's a huge place for her. It's very, very important. And not only that, that, but Marty Malloy got gold in her division, which is the under 57 kilo division. I mean, that that is a huge win for her at a major event. And, and make no mistake about it, just because this is over in the in our end of the world doesn't mean that this isn't a major event. This is a huge event, so congratulations to her. On the men's side for Team USA, Adonis Diaz placed uh, got fifth place in the 
under 60 kilo division. Th- that division was was won by Francisco Garigos of España. Or that's Spain to you non-Spanish speaking folk. Uh, uh, Garagos has has had a good, pretty good year so far. This is not. Uh, I don't know if this is his first win. I can't remember, but I re- I do recall in the last in, in Ekaterinburg he plays pretty well. I think he got fifth place, but I think this is his first uh, major IJF Tour win of the year. So congratulations to him. Now, if I haven't said it already, I have not watched all of these matches just yet. I've only caught just a few. I'm going to do a full breakdown of the entire event in my next podcast. But but for this particular episode, I want, I'm really only have the results for day one because it's just it's a Saturday when I recorded this. So I, look, I, I, I'll tell you guys, look, I record this on Saturday, sometimes Sunday, and, and then I have it all nicely packaged and neat for you guys by the time it hits on Monday evening or, or Tuesday morning. So I'd like to go over some of the winners of the big winners of day one, and I'm sure I'll, well, I know I'll cover everything next week. So I already discussed in the under 48 kilo division uh, that uh, Gabriela Chibana of Brazil uh, won her division there, and I think I already discussed uh, the under 52 uh, division, which was Mexico's first gold medal in an IJF tournament, and the under 57 kilo division, that's Marty's fight, she won that division, uh, we just talked about Francisco Garigos, and was there a 60 kilo, uh, a 66 kilo division, oh, look at that, uh, uh, Tal Flicker of Israel won that division. This is his second, if I'm not mistaken, this is his second first place uh, finish of the IJF Tour year. I believe he got first place in the Baku Grand Slam, if if, if memory serves me correctly. So again, I'll give a I'll give a much more detailed breakdown of this particular tournament when I've had a chance to review a, a lot of the key matches in this event. It should be noted, and this should be no, is no surprise. France and Japan did not make the trip over for this particular tournament. I, I would love to have a better understanding of, of which tournaments uh, these countries choose to be a part of and which ones they choose to not be a part of, how that process happens. Because, look, we're steadily marching toward the world championships. You've got the Hohat Grand Prix, which is in, in about 12 days, less than two weeks away. And... After that, you've got the Taipei City uh, contest, which is in August. And then after that, uh, August 28th, you got the World Championships in, in Budapest, uh, Hungary. So, you know, what's interesting to me is some of the big names, like well, in particular, Teddy Renner, he has not competed once at all this year. And I can't imagine Teddy is going to make the trip to China uh, to compete in that particular tournament. Maybe he will, but we're steadily marching toward the world championships. There's a few Olympians out there, Olympic gold medal winners that we have not seen in action at all this year. Uh, what's his name? Fabio Basile hasn't, uh, he's, he's busy with dancing in the uh, dancing with the stars in Italy. I think he won the thing a couple of weeks ago. But I don't know if he's going to compete in the World Championships. I don't know if Teddy Renner is going to be ready for the World Championships. Um, some of the people out of Japan, I know Mashu Baker will not be at the World Championships. So it's going to be interesting. There's not too many of these these tournaments left until the World Championships. And I can't wait for the World Championships. But what I really can't wait for is to see what kind of rule changes they will have after the world championships and when they will be implemented uh, or or what part of when they'll be you know whether they'll be implemented in the beginning of 2018 or immediately after the world championships you know I'll I'll, I'll be on top of that to to let you all know what those rule changes are but we're a long ways away from that the world championships are about uh, about 72 days away but you know what we're we're getting there and it's it's happening very quickly and so I'm really excited for that. So day two of the Cancun Grand Prix, which is what's happening right now. That's happening right now. And then tomorrow I got the, the, the final day. And, you know, like I said, I will get to all of the results. I will make sure I will do God's work to ensure that you guys don't have to sit through boring matches where it ends with a Shido in Golden Score. I'm not going to make you watch that stuff. 
I will watch that stuff and I'll let you know what to watch and what not to watch. I'll let you know what is must-see TV and I'll let you know what is the worst match ever. Or I won't, you know what? I'm not even going to tell you that anymore. I'm just going to, I'll do the Lord's work here and you guys just sit back and enjoy the fights. And while you're at it, enjoy this podcast as well. Anyway, I think I'm going to wrap things up here. I am talked out. I've got to I've got to enjoy the rest of my weekend and enjoy my Father's Day tomorrow. I plan on taking my sons to the pistol range for the first time in their lives. I don't know if I've ever said it before, but I've been if there's two things in this world I do really well, it's skiing and shooting guns. I'm I would I would classify myself as an expert shot. Um maybe other people don't think so, but I think I am. And I'm going to take my son shooting for the first time. It's they, They're certainly of age. They're, they're both teenagers. And I think they'll enjoy it. I think they'll have a great time and have a great time sharing something. I'll have a great time sharing something that I've always been, I've been passionate about for, for 30 years as well. I don't get to the range as much as I'd like to because I'm busy doing judos. It's kind of funny. I'm a great shot. But when it comes to judo, I'm just your local ham and egger. What can I say? I still love judo. I love judo more than anything besides my wife and my kids and my family. So with that, I'll end it here. I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the weekend. Have a happy Father's Day to all you dads and father figures out there. Train hard. Stay safe out there. Until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Oh, 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 o